Hi, guys. Hey, everybody. Um, so uh, we don't have to introduce ourselves anymore. Yeah, because he did it for us. So that's so us. We'll just skip that part of the script then. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, I'm Kay- I'm Caitlin. I'm Brendan. Yeah. Uh, so today we're going to talk about sound design. Um, uh, we're actually going to do two sessions, one today, one tomorrow. This is Sound Design 101, and then tomorrow at 11 o'clock, we're going to do Sound Design 201. So today, we're going to be focusing more on sort of the ideas and concepts that guide us as sound designers. And then tomorrow in 201, we'll share some of the tools and the techniques uh, that, uh, that we use in our sessions, and then we'll actually show some of those sessions. Um, so just to get us started, uh, you know, when I talk to a lot of younger radio producers in particular, um, or other producers who are interested in getting into sound design, um, I think there's this tendency to think about uh, sound design as like decoration, you know? Yeah, something that you add on at the end after the story is all finished. Um, but one of the biggest ideas that we sort of come back to and operate from is this idea that sound design is not, it shouldn't be icing on the cake, it should be baked into the cake. Sound design is one of the many ingredients that sort of go into the recipe. Exactly. Um, I think another thing that I hear a lot from uh, aspiring radio producers is um, that sound design is kind of like, ooh, I don't know how to do that, like, scary, you know? Um, But the fact is that you probably already are a bit of a sound designer because radio is made of sound. (laughs) And and I think that a lot of people, I mean, when you're starting out, you're pitching... I think one of the first questions that a lot of editors will ask is, um, what kind of ambient are you going to get? What kind of nat sound? What scene tape? Um, and so when you are thinking about how ambient or nat sound is going to help you tell your story, um, that's a type of sound design. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. kind of the same thing. Or if you've ever like do. had to you know, edit someone's voice, you know, if you're having to choose between two different takes and listening to the tonality of one or the rise and fall of someone's voice... Um, or if you've ever had to like direct a, a voiceover session, I mean, that's being a sound designer, but with voice. Exactly. Um, and so really it just depends what, what kind of show you're working for, how far you can take uh, this type of thinking, um, whether you're going to be just using ambient that sound or going crazy and making, recreating things, um, using music and sound effects and all these other things to create images. Um, so it's, it's yeah. important to keep in mind sort of the aesthetics and what type of show you're working for. Um, if you're the type of show that we work on, um, we use sound design, and that's kind of one of the main voices of, of our shows. Um, but uh, because listeners have uh, you know, expectations for different types of shows, you can have different recipes for different types of radio. You know? um, different combinations of sound design, voice, or sound effects. So that's that. <laughs> Um, now we're going to talk about sort of the question of how. Uh, how do we go about sound design? How do we uh, bake it into the cake? Something that I like to think about a lot when I'm thinking about my role as a sound designer is uh, children's books. Uh, I was the type of kid who really believed that the best books had pictures. And uh, I think there's a lot of similarities between what sound designers do for radio and what children's book illustrators do for books. So um, to to start this off, I think you kind of, just like in radio, uh, a children's book illustrator starts with text. Um, Not everybody works off of a script, but let's just say that we do. Um, So you're working with sort of the building blocks of a story, and you're sitting down asking yourself, okay, 
what am I going to illustrate? What am I going to make pictures for? Uh, so here we have Maurice Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are. The night Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind. So uh, he gets to sit down and ask himself, what am I going to illustrate? He chose the mischief. Um, so there are a few things that, I, I guess a few links that I think are helpful for us in asking how sound can help us tell our stories. Um, the first thing that an illustrator does is they create an image. It seems kind of obvious, but um, a few things that creating an image does for a story or for a listener is it invites you into the world of the story. It invites you into the moment. Uh, it doesn't. So it's not just mischief. It, he tells us what kind of mischief. It gives us a, a look into the quality of the mischief and sort of um, lets us see in greater detail what's going on. Uh, a second thing that illustrators and sound designers both do is they move the narrative along. I think the best illustrators um, don't just reiterate what's already being said. They give you more information. Uh, and the third thing that they do is they create a sense of uh, an aesthetic continuity. So um, <clears throat> with Maurice Sendak, uh, you know, just the way that the way that he the, the tools that he used, uh, like I'm not I'm not exactly sure what he used. Maybe he used uh, pencil crayons or pastels. Um, when you're sort of sitting down deciding what approach you're going to take, um, there's sort of uh, an aesthetic quality that you get introduced to that you live inside of for the duration of the storytelling experience. Um, and I think that that's something that really good sound designers do. Um, <clears throat> so when asking what kind of tools uh, we use to make audio pictures, we, we sort of broke it down into three categories. These are like the ingredients of the cake, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's voice, there's music, and there's other sounds. Uh, those are things that are not yeah. voice and music. Sound effects, mm-hmm. ambience, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm gonna, we're not going to talk about manipulating the voice. We're going to talk about making images uh, with sounds mm-hmm. and with music. I'm going to talk about sounds. And I'll talk about music. Um, so starting with sounds. <laughs> the first thing that I do uh, a lot of the time, I'll get a script um, and uh, and I sort of what I do first is I break things down into scenes, and then I ask myself where we are in each of the scenes. Um, so I start thinking about a sense of place, and sometimes this, sometimes a place is a real place, like a bus stop or a bar. Uh, sometimes it's an abstract place, like someone's mind. Um, but one of the first things that I'll sort of sit down and start building out with sounds are the literal places. Um, so to go back to where the wild things are, to give you guys an example, um, here we're just going to listen to a little bit of it and then uh, think about place. So I'm just going to warn you, this is Christopher Walken um, reading. I don't know if you guys have heard this already. It's on YouTube. It's, it's pretty good. That very night in Max's room, a forest grew and grew and grew until his ceiling hung with vines and the walls became the world all around. And an ocean tumbled by with a private boat for Max and he sailed off through night and day. All right. <laughs> um, okay, so if, that, if this was the radio piece that I was sort of 
trying to figure out how to sound design. Um, there's two places that we heard there. There's his room and there's uh, the ocean. I am going to decide to design the ocean, um, partially because, uh, I don't know, I, most of the time I just follow where my heart thumps, and I'm just kind of like, ooh, the ocean tumbled by. Like That, that seems like a nice illustrative moment. Mm. It's also kind of like a transition between, like, you know, his real life and then like he's moving out into where the, the, land, wild the land of the are. wild things. Yeah, exactly. And so if I sort of, if I decide to create a soundscape for this moment for the ocean, it'll carry me through from one, from one scene to the next. Um, <clears throat> so I'm just going to sort of actually uh, demonstrate my, my process that I, I'll go through with this. Um, so here, let's see. Yeah, that's it. Reaper. Welcome to Reaper. Um, this is the software that Brendan and I use. Um, it's, anyways, we don't have to talk about the software. We're just looking at the sounds. So <clears throat> when I'm sitting down to design place, uh, the first thing I do is I ask myself, what sounds does this place make? The second thing that I do is I go to freesound.org, which is <laughs> this amazing database that uh, like users can upload sounds, and so there's, it's const- like constantly recycling itself. Um, there's a lot of there's a pretty wide range of different sound quality, so you have to sort of think about that. Um, but it's great. I get all of my sounds from there. It's been like six years now that I've been doing it. I highly recommend. So <clears throat> the first thing that I th- you know first thing you think about water when, yeah, <laughs> the ocean. Um, so I'm just gonna. So this is the first sound that I found. What do you think, Brendan? Um, so I can tell that it's the ocean, but it's, it also sort of sounds like TV static or like snow. It's not like super clear. Right. It's not helping build an image for me at least. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we're we're not going to use this one. Um, this, this part of the process can sometimes take, it can take anywhere between one and 20 minutes, um, because of this problem of like, just because it's the sound of the actual thing doesn't mean that it's conjuring the image that you're hoping for. So this is the next sound that I found. Uh, not that one. This one. Hmm? It's like a river or something or a stream. It's flowing water, but it's not, okay. it's not the ocean. It's not the right one. Okay, so this one was the next one. See, this one is the ocean, but it's like, it's like the perspective is looking out onto the ocean from the beach. I'm not like in the... In the middle in of the, the ocean. actual ocean, right. So uh, this, this happens a lot. And um, what I often do is I sort of just I, I mix and match things. Like I'll sort of layer different sounds that maybe aren't working on top of each other and see what happens. So this is what I did here. So this is just those two sounds you had combined. Yeah. I think the cool thing about this is like all of a sudden like my perspective sort of changes a little bit like I'm hearing the ocean and I'm hearing the flowing and the way that like I reconcile that is like I can imagine a boat sort of water streaming across the bow you know yeah yeah I mean it's definitely working for me so this is sort of the this is this combination is something that I've decided to go with um so what else is gonna what else are we gonna illustrate in this in this ocean moment um he is on a boat, so I thought, okay, so maybe let's 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 put him in a sailboat uh, here. Maybe we have some 
sail flapping in the wind. Um, this is not actually the sound of a sail flapping in the wind. It's a, it's a flag. So I looked up flag wind or something like that, and this is what I got, and I thought I feel pretty good about it. Can you just play that sound in, in isolation? Sure. So here we go. So it's like the ocean sort of gives it a context. Mm-hmm. So here we go. And then uh, I thought, hey, why not? I'll put some, some seagulls. Uh, and then I was like, mm, seagulls. I mean, this is where the wild things are. So instead, I opted for some jungle birds. Let's see everyone. I want them to be louder. I hear it, though. Yeah, it's much more foreboding. Yeah, and I mean, I think that for me, this makes it nighttime, whereas the seagulls make it daytime. Um, So here here we go. This is our super basic uh, soundscape. I'll play it with the the talking. Here we go. Christopher Walken. Come back to us. And an ocean tumbled by with a private boat from Max. And we sailed off through the night. So there we go. That was my little soundscape demonstration. Um, a few things that, uh, that I want you guys to take away from this. Um, number one, search for a sound that conjures the right image. Um, number two, the sound of the actual thing isn't always the sound that you're going to end up using. So even if like the flag was the sound of the sailboat, the real sound of the ocean wasn't, wasn't right. Um, so you just kind of got to mix and match until you find something that, that sounds good to you. And then the third thing is think about the world of your story and make choices accordingly. Um, so try to, if you can, get into a, as much detail as possible. Um, yeah. Uh, so this was a sound, soundscape. That's sort of the first layer that I go about designing when I'm designing a story. Um, <clears throat> I think something that you might notice about a soundscape sound is that it's something that lives in the background. It's not something that our attention is falling on. A lot of the time when I'm designing place, um, it's, uh, it kind of acts as a bed. Um, the next, like, like a music bed, like something that's kind of yeah. just rioting underneath the words. Yes, exactly. Um, the next pass that I do is a pass where I'm thinking about the types of sounds that are happening in the foreground. Um, so we have our, our boat our ocean, if Max were to take out a telescope and look at the horizon, the sound of him sort of like notching out the telescope, that would be a sound that's happening in the foreground. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's what's next. (laughs) Uh, And foreground, what what designing things in the foreground does uh, is they add another layer of detail. Um, Oftentimes there are actions that, like, I'm asking myself, what are the characters in the story doing and how can I illustrate that? Um, that's designing foreground. So there's one person who does this really, really well. His name is Jonathan Mitchell. He works on a show called The Truth. Um, And I'm going to play you an example, and what I'd like for you to listen for is the difference between the background and the foreground. And think about the choices that he's made about what to illustrate in terms of what his character is doing in the space and what it does for uh, for the image in your mind of what's going on. A 
Uh, hey, uh, Freddie, Pat, it's Walt. How y'all doing? Happy New Year. Um, I, I never heard back from you, you know, and I just want to make sure that you got my email about the party tonight. Um, yeah, I'm, it's about 8.25, 8.30 here, and the party's rocking on, and uh, if you guys were going to come by, gosh, come by anytime you want to. I hope to see y'all. Y'all, uh, y'all take care. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> The Truth. Movies for your ears. Online at thetruthapm.com. Let's see. Hot sauce, cheese sauce, rum. Oh, shoot. I did not get gin. If I, you know what? I'll just go out and get it if they want. I don't care. That's what I'll do. Ooh. Hello? Yeah. Send him up. Thank you. Uh-huh. Hey, Bob. Hey. Hey. How are you, man? I'm crazy. Okay. Uh, that's enough. <laughs> um, okay, so there were a few different things that I heard uh, that sort of stuck with me after listening to this piece. Um, the, this... I'm just going to say three. There, there are a lot of things going on in there. But I heard um, right before they say the truth, I heard some munching. I heard him moving the bottles around uh, when he was asking where the, where the gin was. And I heard, I mean, you hear that him pick up the phone a couple of times. And when he moves around the space, you hear the floor creaking. That's a little bit more subtle, but it's there. Um, and so each time I heard one of these sounds, immediately I, I, I got an image in my mind. So when he picks up the phone, I suddenly see the phone. I see him cradling the phone uh, on his shoulder. When I hear him munching, I'm like, oh, there's a coffee table with, with, with snacks on it. And then he moves the bottles, and I'm seeing this platter of booze. Um, and then, again, I mean, when the, the phone rings again, I'm seeing that one of those little phones on the side. It's different from the phone that's on the table. Um, and then he moves to the door. He opens the door. I'm seeing him and his friend there. Um, <clears throat> so this is one of the most important things that illustrating actions does. Um, surprisingly, like, it, it, it enhances our sense of the place. Uh, it gives us a more detailed image of where we are. Um, the second thing that illustrating actions does is it lets us say less and do more. So if there was a narrator in this story, um, and, and, he, and the narrator was saying, so, you know, the guy, George, let's call him, um, you know, he was waiting and the phone rang. And then he picked up the phone, he talked to his friend, and he went to check if there was any gin, and then his friend arrived, and he walked to the door and opened it. Like, you would, you would be able to cut out, you know, whole sentences of talking um, and have the point illustrated in a matter of seconds. Um, and not only is it illustrated more economically in terms of time, but it's also doing a lot more. Uh, for the story, because uh, it's again the mischief thing. It's not show, it's not it's not just saying what, but it's also saying how. Um, so those are I'm just a breakdown of those points on the PowerPoint. So if you want to write it down. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, the third thing that I think is really special about Jonathan Mitchell's work in particular is that he's always designing actions in the foreground in relation to uh, the things in the background. Like it's never, you never hear these actions sort of coming in out of nowhere. It's all part of a place. It's all part of the world of the story um, in that particular moment. And I think this is an important thing to think about um, because 
I think that there's this weird impulse with sound design a lot of the time, especially sound effects, um, to just sort of drop things in out of nowhere. It's like someone, a character, uh, you know, they're brushing their teeth and suddenly you hear this like, you know, close mic'd recording of someone brushing their teeth and you're like, where did that come from? Why is that there? Yeah, or like, this is like, you know, he slammed the door. Yeah. It's like a cartoon effect or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, I mean, I, I say this because I've done it. I've definitely done it. Um, and yeah, I don't know where that impulse comes from. It's just, it's well, I think really when you're strong. starting out, that's the, you see, you just see the things in the script and you're like, oh, that makes a sound. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll use that. I'll use it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's fine. It's all good. I think that if you, if you, if you use it with intention, uh, it can sound great, but um, but definitely think about it. Uh, yeah, because if you want to do a cartoon, then that's that's awesome. But don't make your like you know documentary into a cartoon by accident. Um, okay, so um, the next thing that I often think about whenever I'm doing sound designing sounds with using sounds and not music uh, is sort of it, it, like the, my favorite question in sound design is how do you design things that don't make a sound. Um, sometimes, like I was saying before, the, the sound that the thing actually makes, it's not really the most illustrative thing. It, or maybe it, it's just a sound that you don't really like. Or um, maybe it's more fun for the listener to hear something other than what they were expecting to hear. Um, and so the answer to these questions is this thing that I call figurative illustration, um, where you're using, you're t- t- taking sort of a poetic or creative approach to the sounds that you're choosing uh, to illustrate a certain thing. Um, so figurative illustration can help you in three, ca- three main categories, uh, th- the things that don't make a sound, uh, when you're, when you want to illustrate the quality of something instead of the sound that it makes. Um, and also it helps when you're going about illustrating complex concepts or abstract ideas. I'm going to take you through these three points and give you examples of each. Uh, so how do we illustrate something that doesn't make a sound? This is something that I face a lot in my work because it's about like love and sex. Um, and so there's touch is often uh, a big part of the stories that I'm telling. And touch is a hard thing because it de- definitely doesn't really make a sound. It's hard to describe in words. Um, and it's often you know, really important and it's like a huge emotional piece of a story. And so illustrating it is something that I really always want to do, but it's not easy um, and I was working with this woman named Jess Grossman a few years ago. I'll never forget the first moment I heard this type of figurative sound design. Um, I'm going to, I don't, I tried to find this piece, but I couldn't find it. Um, I'll just tell you what she did. Um, it was a, it was a piece where there was a woman tied up in a public place and, uh, and she, t- she describes that someone sort of walks over to her, uh, and takes out a feather. I don't know where the feather came from, but. Um, there's a feather and, and, uh, the person sort of just drags the feather along the skin on her forearm. And the sound she used, uh, was really special. I'm just going to play it for you. So... This is not the exact sound that she used for the, in that piece, but it, you get the idea. Um, and this sort of brings me to my next point, which is this idea of illustrating a quality instead of a sound. So there's something about this like wind chime that's really sort of like delicate, and I think 
actually renders um, something about the quality of that feeling, like on your that 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 sort of really I don't know mm, subtle feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So illustrate. Oh no, go back. Illustrating quality instead of sound. The other cool thing about illustrating a quality instead of a sound is uh, this element of surprise that I was talking about before, uh, where maybe the thing does make a sound, but it's not a sound that you want to use. The next example I'm going to play for you is by this guy named Matt Sarr. He did this radio play called The Tin Man about the adventures of the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. Uh, And you'll hear hear the approach he took uh, here. I'll just play it for you. Suddenly... A black thing leapt out of the tree and onto the little plant. It cocked its head to one side. The black thing looked at me and squawked, ripped up the plant from the soil, swallowed it, and flew back to the tree. A crow. Oh, many, many crows, hundreds of crows all over the tree. Three murderers. The tree Writhed with crows, stunk of crows, all shiny black, fidgeting, flexing its muscles as if to say, Who's your daddy? So that's the Tin Man. I'm eating a cookie now, sorry. Uh, (laughs) um, I don't really need to explain it more. I think that you got the sense that instead of, you know having the squawking of of a bird he chose this like shaky I call it a shaky shake <laughs> like yeah. Morocco sort of shaker sound mm-hmm. yeah. you actually see like the whole cloud of, of, of birds just sort of erupting from the tree and this, it's, it's really sort of giving you a sense of that action mm-hmm. it's more immediate sometimes to, to pick something else like that that image sort of came to me much quicker than it would have like, like all the like layering all the squat I don't know I mean it was just it was it was it was immediate so okay that's I think that's pretty clear next is illustrating a concept um so sometimes you're sort of sitting down trying to figure out like how to illustrate something like time for example um the first thing you think of when like you know a clock ticking I mean there's there's probably a lot better more interesting ways uh, to use sound to illustrate something that's complex. Um, so there's this woman named Sarah Boothroyd, and she did a piece, actually, about time. Uh, and there's this moment where uh, you hear the expansion of the universe. <laughs> so, like, and how she did it was... I'm just going to play it for you. It's really special. It began in the Big Bang... And the universe has been expanding ever since then. Yeah. Special. I like that a lot. That's my favorite. Uh, well, this is kind of a nice pivot point because that sounds like music to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that it kind of, it is music. I think the way, the way that she, I think you could actually argue that it's more music than it is sound uh, because she used sounds, like sound effects, but she organized them in this rhythmic way that then sort of turned it into music. 
Right. Actually, so um, the composer Edgar Varez famously defined music as organized sound or organized noise. And I think you actually hear that happening here. It sort of is in that kind of middle ground between a sound effect and music. Um, and actually, I think that organized quality uh, of music is part of what makes it so special in radio. It's part of what makes it a little bit different from the way that we use sort of other types of sound. Um, so I think of music having these two qualities. Um, one is that it's, it's structured, um, and the other is that it's interpretive. So by structured, I sort of mean, like, music has this built-in form. Um, it might be because, like, in a song, you have a verse and a chorus, or maybe you have, like, a, a rhythm or a drum beat, and there's this sort of a landscape to it. You know, there are parts that sort of come in, different sections. And those, those like, sonic moments, those shifts between different types of music, um, those sort of work as common reference points for every listener. Everyone sort of hears the, the, the change between verse and chorus at the same time. But also, music is interpretive. And by that, I sort of mean, like, if you imagine, uh, you know, music, music doesn't necessarily mean anything in a vacuum. Like, it, it requires a listener to, to, to listen to it and to interpret it and to sort of feel something, you know, or see an image or have an association with the music. Because mm-hmm. um, it's not referring to anything specific. Right, right. right. So in that, in that way, I think that um, music actually is like, it's kind of like figurative sound design. I think it's doing the same type of thing as figurative sound design. Um, so what does music do in a radio story? I think it does a few things. One is what we just talked about. Uh, this is figurative sound design creating an image. Um, maybe it does that by uh, sort of evoking an atmosphere of a physical place. Or maybe it does that by conjuring a reference or an outside association that you as a listener might have. Or sort of like um, in that Tin Man example, the, the, the maraca crow cloud effect. Um, musical sound effects sort of fit into this category. Um, bits of music that evoke um, you know, an animal or a siren or you know, some sort of action. Um, the other thing, and this is probably the most obvious thing that music does, is it, um, it makes us feel things. It channels emotion. Um, so that could be by like giving insight into a, a character's emotional state, uh, or maybe like let's say we have an action scene in our story and we want to increase the pace, so we have a really fast tempo piece of music. Um, or it could be editorializing on the story, and this is kind of gets into this murky territory where we could potentially be like hitting the listener over the head with with what we're trying to convey, um, and we'll talk more about that in just a little bit, but. Um, and the other thing that I see music doing in radio, and this is sort of a big umbrella category, is that it, it, it does actual editorial work. It orients the listener. Um, and this is sort of the structured part of music. It, 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 the form gives us reference points um, to, to let music work as, for example, a form of punctuation. So actually earlier today in the, the ethics discussion, they were talking about Ira Glass's thing where you have the words and you have the music and then the music drops out, and you're just sort of left with the words, like that's a form of musical punctuation. And sort of at a, at a macro level, that can help us organize chapters or like hold different sections of our story and sort of help navigate different levels of energy as, as the story arc sort of flows. Um, but I think it's sort of important to keep in mind that um, none of these categories are mutually exclusive. Like music can do all of these things at once. In fact, I, I think sometimes if you find like the right piece of music in a radio story, it can actually work in these multiple ways at the same time. Um, so because music is, is interpretive, um, I think it's really important to 
to try to be conscious of what types of associations your listener might have when you're using music, when you're sort of deploying different musical choices in a piece. Um, so sometimes I do this game, and we can kind of do it here, uh, where I try to, I call it listening through the music as opposed to listening to the music. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is like, you're trying to get, figure out what's inside of it. Like what images are you seeing? What kind of associations? So I'm going to play a few pieces of music here, and then I'll just ask you guys um, just sort of on your own to think about, uh, you know, if you can pay really close attention to your imagination and think about what types of images you're getting from these, uh, these pieces of music. What does it say? Is there some sort of story inside of it? Um, so let's just listen to this. So I'll, uh, I'll ask you, Caitlin, what do you, what do you hear when you hear this piece? Of, what do you see when you hear this piece of music? Yeah, I guess I'm seeing sort of like, it's sort of mischievous. I'm seeing like a kind of a, maybe a, a dingy basement and a bunch of like people sort of skeezily scheming, maybe. doing something. I don't yeah. know what. <laughs> like maybe There's some sort a, of like plot afoot. Yeah, or like a pool, t- a rigged pool table, like, or, but, but, the, but I don't think that, that maybe they're that smart about it or something like that. <laughs> sort of a foolish quality to it. Yeah, like it's kind of goofy. All right. Um, let's listen to this one. Um, so it's sad, obviously. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing like, uh, there's some grief. There is like, maybe, um, it's like the the afternoon and the person's wondering like, what am I going to, how am I going to deal with the day? And like, maybe they're seeing like some flashbacks and some crappy things that happened to them last week. Yeah, I think the flashback component is like, it's like the, the bad thing has already already happened. happened. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And just one more. Um, we'll listen to this for a moment because this one's a little bit more subtle. What do you think? Um, I feel like it's it's kind of anticipatory. Um, there's something something's gonna happen. Uh, it could be really good. It yeah, could be it really bad, yet. but we don't know. Like, mm-hmm. and maybe there's an element of danger. Uh, the stakes are probably pretty high. Um, yeah, um, that's what I'm feeling. Oh my god, that's creepy. Now, now it got serious. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I sometimes play this game when I'm just like listening to music on my own. Um, actually, this is sort of like how I listen to music, and I don't know if that's what other people do or not, but that's just like how how I do it. Um, so sometimes when I'm listening to music, I'll actually go into my iTunes collection and like in the comments box, you know, like you can tag things. I'll add like little keywords, like this one was foreboding, this one was, you know, anticipatory or whatever danger. And then that way, um, when I do go back to score a radio piece and I'm sort of looking for a certain mood, I'll, I can call that up, you know, just do a little search in the iTunes box and, um, and bring it up at a moment's notice. Um, so now let's play these same musical examples, but let's pair them with uh, a bit of a story. So this is the first uh, couple lines from a recent Love and Radio piece called Sesquipedalian. Um, and I don't think I need to set it up. I'll just play the words and we'll take a listen. Um, but as you're listening, think about how the words and the music are sort of interacting with each other. 
and bringing out maybe different connotations or perhaps telling different types of stories. The biggest bet I ever made in my life would have been a life-changing bet. I made a bet of $425,000. The win would be $1,250,000. I was sort of trying to get out of being a gangster, which I'd been at that point in a number of different ways. And I thought that was the thing that was going to be able to make me be legit for the rest of my life. I, would, I could stop being a gangster. So I guess in this case, to me, uh, the music is almost like commenting on this guy. Like it, it's almost saying like, you know, he's going to screw up um, or like he's a fool. Um, it's, it's editorializing in a way. Um, Okay, let's listen to the next one. This is the sad music. The biggest bet I ever made in my life would have been a life-changing bet. I made a bet of $425,000. The win would be $1,200,000. So I hear laughter, which suggests like it's working kind of, I was of, sort of trying like, to get out of being a gangster, which I'd been it should. at that point like, it in sounds a like ways. He's done and I thought that was awful. the thing that was going like, to be able to terrible. make like, me be sold his firstborn child or something. Life. I don't know. Um, something really bad. All right. And then this last one. So the I should just say. The biggest bet I ever made in my life would have been a life-changing bet. I made a bet of $425,000. The win would be $1,250,000. I was sort of trying to get out of being a gangster, which I'd been at that point in a number of different ways. And I thought that was the thing that was going to be able to make me be legit for the rest of my life. I, I could stop being a gangster. Um, so I should say, this is the piece of music that we actually ended up using. Um, and I think it works for a couple, uh, couple different reasons. Um, one is that it's, it's a little bit more open. Like, the, the action hasn't happened yet, you know? That's that sort of anticipatory quality that we were talking about earlier. Um, it's not giving anything away too soon. Um, and it's also sort of helping push the narrative forward. And you could hear how, like, after he finished that phrase, we had that little bit of a, a sting um, following it. Um, and we'll talk more about that effect in, in, a, in a, just a little bit here. Um, but I think there's actually sort of a mutual feedback happening here. Um, so as, as radio producers, we often think, or like many people come from writing backgrounds or reporting backgrounds, and we're thinking about radio as like the text part of radio and then the sound part of radio. And this goes back to the cake thing. Like we want to really think about these ingredients as working with each other and being sort of integral. Um, so the traditional way of thinking about scoring is that you are mapping music onto the words of your story. Um, but what I think this demonstration shows is that both things happen. Like while the music is in fact framing the, the pictures that are being conjured by the, the descriptions, at the same time, uh, the, the story is giving context to the music. So we have this sort of like cycle that's happening um, and the, the two things working together are, at least to me, what help create a very nuanced image and help tell a very specific story. Um, but obviously, those examples that we displayed are also full of emotional content. Um, and I think part of, people might have been laughing on that second one because it was maybe hitting people over the head with this sort of like, oh my God, it's so sad so kind dramatic. of thing. Yeah. Um, so... You know, and, that, and that's a question I get a lot is like, how do I, how do I know whether or not, um, whether or not music is, is hitting people over the head? Um, 
and you know, this is sort of a controversial idea. I think in, in radio, we talked about a little bit about it also in the ethics panel today, like how um, you know when is using music somehow manipulating your audience? Um, and I, I, this is the controversial. My idea, which I think is controversial, is like I think that's sort of the point of using music. I think you want to manipulate your audience, but it's a question of how. Like, how is music any more manipulative than a tone of voice when we speak or our choice of words? It's all in sort of how we deploy it. Um, so here's a metaphor that I've been thinking about that like uh, sort of helps me figure out what different types of music are doing in, in a radio piece. Um, and uh, let me just show you this. So let's imagine a scale, like a gradient. Um, and music can exist anywhere along this gradient. And on the one side, I'm going to call it um, opaque music. And on the other side, we'll have transparent music. Uh, so opaque music, to me, is music that, like, if we're listening through it, it's, there's stuff in the way. There are ideas. There are uh, preconceived, like, images that we have with it. So, for example, uh, this piece of music, it requires less interpretation. This, this is, in a, is an example of music that I think doesn't need a lot of interpretation. Carmina Barada, O Fortuna. Uh, it immediately tells you what it's doing, you know? Um, and the other thing about it is that this piece of music is used in a lot of movie trailers, uh, and it's, it's just a very charged piece of music. It's very forceful. It gets its point across really effectively, um, but it's, it's, just, it's, doing, it's, it's doing a lot. Um, okay, so let's listen to a very different example of something that I would also consider to be opaque music. The title, as you can see, is uh, The Ballet of Unhatched Chicks in Their Shells. And you actually get this image of, like, little critters, whether they're chicks or, you know, chipmunks or whatever. They're kind of hopping around. It's like a cartoon. Um, and I think that this is a testament to uh, Modest Mazorsky's composition, like, that the image is so evocative. Um, but it's, it's, the music is full of that image, um, I guess. So... What I see both of these examples illustrating is that opaque music, music that is sort of full of stuff, full of musical stuff, um, is usually more complicated. So maybe there are more striking chord changes, maybe uh, there are more complex rhythms, um, and as a result, it demands much more of our attention. So like, I couldn't use that piece of music along with words, like they would be fighting each other. Um, I could maybe you know, say something, play the music, and then say something else, but I couldn't really mix them. They're sort of sonically in competition. So you see where this is going. Um, transparent is basically all the opposite stuff. Um, transparent music does, is more subtle and requires more interpretation on behalf of the listener. So here's an example of a piece of music that I think of as transparent. And we'll just listen to this for a few moments and think about what it means. I mean, it's definitely calm, it's ambient, um, it's peaceful for perhaps, but it's, it's, it's a really nuanced kind of feeling to me. Um, it's not making a clear image. But it doesn't have to be ambient music, it could be something more rhythmic. Or it could be just a drone. 
And I think what all these pieces of music have in common is that you really need to kind of do a little bit of work to figure out what they're saying. Um, so, you know, and on the flip side of opaque music, it, they're also maybe more minimal, they're more ambient, more droney, um, and because of that, they don't demand as much of your sort of conscious attention, but maybe they somehow tap into a lower level of consciousness. Um, so as a result, transparent music is much easier to mix with voices and sound effects and other things, or sometimes, um, you know, in my own work, I try to layer different types of transparent musics to sort of like create textures and drones and stuff like that. Um, so one of the ways this can be helpful, I think, for us as radio producers is that heavy-handed question. Um, and if you think about it, like something opaque is going to be something that has mass. So if you hit someone over the head with it, it's going to hurt, you know, they're going to resist you. Um, whereas if it's, if it's transparent, it's perhaps more cloudy. And if you're trying to use it really forcefully, um, at the very worst, it won't mean much of anything at all, but at its best, uh, it will also allow the listener to sort of, you know, bring their own association and build their own image with whatever, you know, words are happening in the piece. Um, but just to be clear, I'm not trying to suggest that, um, that transparent music is better in radio. It's more just that we should be really intentional about when we use one or the other, because obviously music can exist sort of anywhere along this spectrum. Um, and there's a time and a place for, for both. Uh, ultimately, it's sort of like how we use different types of like opaque music moments, which are like musical gestures, things that are very sort of evocative, um, or more sort of ambient, droney, transparent moments in a story. Um, in order to help really tell the story. And, you know, I think what we find, because music is structured, if we get a chance to line up musical gestures with, uh, or sonic moments with story moments, like changes that are happening in the story, the result is scoring that's very tight-knit, scoring that, like, works along with whatever, you know, um, narrative we're telling. So here's a piece, uh, a radio piece, that I think does that really well. Um, this is from The Memory Palace by Nate DeMeo. And the piece is called A Gas, Gas, Gas. So we're going to listen to like the first minute and a half of it here. This um, is wait, the Memory Palace. Wait, wait. Uh, as you're listening, uh, think about the movie that's happening in your head. Um, think about what you're seeing. Sort of play the same game as we played with the music before. Try to look through it. And think about how these little musical gestures that you're going to hear throughout the piece sort of coincide with, um, with different ideas or, or images. Um, and lastly, listen to like, there, there are a few moments where the music changes. Like it, it's sort of one type of music and then it's another type of music. Um, and, and sort of think about where that happens in the piece and why that's happening in the piece. This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. The man who woke with the start and threw up. He could barely see. It was just before dawn. He smelled something strange and sweet in the air there in his bedroom. He turned to his wife and asked her to run to the kitchen and make sure that the pilot light in the stove was still on, that there wasn't a gas leak. She went to get up, but found that her legs no longer worked. Later that night, on August 31st, 1944, a young woman across town, her husband off to war, awoke alone in her bed to the sound of her daughter crying and coughing in the next room. She went to get up, but found that her legs no longer worked. The next night, around 11.30, a woman, Mrs. Kearney, was getting ready for bed. She smelled something strange. 
She walked around her dark house trying to find the source until her legs started tingling and she found they no longer worked. She screamed, you would too, and her sister came running in from down the hall. She called the police. When they came, she told them that the strange smell seemed to be coming in through her sister's bedroom window. The police didn't find anything. They left and left the woman alone. Two hours later, Mrs. Kearney's husband, Bert, pulled into the driveway after his shift as a taxi driver. There, beneath his bedroom window, while his wife slept just inside, was a strange figure dressed in black, crouching in the darkness. Bert would later tell the police that the figure, tall and thin, ran off into the woods and vanished. So you'll have to go to uh, the Memory Palace's website to hear the rest of the story. Um, so uh, w- talk about some of the things. What did you hear in, in this piece? Mm, the two things that stood out to me were uh, the, the, tri- the wee, yeah, that part. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and then also the piano bit. Mm-hmm. Where it was going, do do kind of tinkly, it's a high music. register, yeah. Um, okay, well let's let's talk about those two things. Uh, so that trill gesture, uh, he uses it throughout the piece, um, and every time I don't know what you guys saw when you were sort of you know the the movie for your ears, what you what you saw, um, but for me immediately whenever I heard that sound, my attention was drawn toward whatever Demeo was describing. Um, so let's. Those moments for me were a man waking up with a start. Um, these, this piece was actually illustrated. You can go to Boing Boing, um, and uh, he collaborated with an illustrator. Um, but I'll just use these moments. So the man waking up with a start, or um, the next time I heard the, the sound was when uh, the woman woke up to hear her, her daughter crying and coughing. Um, and then there was uh, Mrs. Kearney in the, uh, walking around her house, and then Ms. Kearney's husband pulling up the driveway. Um, and then once, once more, sort of at the end of this frame, there beneath the bedroom window. Actually, there are two moments where we're kind of our attention is drawn to a bedroom window. Um, so, yeah, with every sort of evocation of this sound, I'm, I'm being drawn toward an image. But the other thing that's sort of interesting is that these are all scene changes. So we're in this guy's house, then we're in her house, then we're in this house, and then we're in the driveway outside of the house. And ultimately, um, I think that the sound also sort of evokes the actual character, this sort of man in black. Even though he's like off stage the whole time, um, by the end of this piece, we sort of know, oh, that sound is, is this, this figure or whatever it is um, lurking around this, this town. Um, so I think this is a really good example of uh, music, sort of an op- a more opaque musical gesture working in a really effective way because DeMeo was super intentional about those moments that he wanted to deploy it. Um, the other thing was that, that tinkly piano thing that you mentioned. Uh, so what was happening when, when you heard that? It was, I remember when he said her legs tingled and then I heard the piano and it was this sort of direct link. It sort of mirrored, like the tinkly piano mirrored the tingly, pins and needles tingly. Like, yeah. um, kind of like the... The, ch- the wind chime even, you know? Right, right. So I think in that case, it's really working as a, a, as a figurative illustration. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing that it did for me is it, it immediately, immediately drew my mental image like onto her legs. Um, you know, so I, I see that image 
and um, perhaps on some level I'm also um, emoting with her. Like I'm sort of feeling, uh, you know, the I'm feeling that quality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is another great example of how one piece of music, so the music in this case was um, uh, one track from the soundtrack to The Omen. Um, and it was a single piece of music, but it's doing a lot of different types of things. It's helping create an image. Um, it's it's uh, helping convey emotion, channeling emotion. Creepy. Creepy emotions. <laughs> and, uh, and it's also structuring the piece in a real way. Um, so the way I think about y- using music, some of the important principles that I, I try to keep in mind are I'm always looking for ways that music can help structure the piece. Um, you know, I'm always trying to figure out those moments where, where they can line up with the story. And maybe that means like editing the music so it fits the words, and maybe it means editing the, editing the words or telling the story in a different way to help fit with the music. Sometimes the music can actually like teach you something about the story, teach you where to make a turn. Um, the other thing is listening through music, like really trying to figure out what's happening inside of it, because music is this interpretive process. So you have to like encode an idea into it for someone to decode. And what they see might not be the same thing as what you see, but I think ideally if you're paying attention to this process, um, there's a better chance that they're going to kind of land in the right place. Um, And then to be super intentional in your choices. I think that oftentimes, you know, sometimes when I I would start out as a radio producer, I would just like plop a piece of music and then like, oh, this is changing the mood of the piece. But I wasn't sort of doing it in a very tactful way. Um... And the more and more we can have like reasons, like this, I, I use this piece of music here because it's doing this thing for my story, and really to focus on how does it help the story, um, that can really make more informed choices for scoring. And then lastly, we didn't really talk about this, but um, this is a big part of my own process. Um, so I Love and Radio is a collaborative project. I work with Nick Vanderkolk, and um, you know, oftentimes when we're starting a piece either he or I will use what we call scratch music, so like a little bit of music that kind of is a foundation for a scene. Um, And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And um, sometimes you have to kind of like figure out why it doesn't work. But um, at least being able to to talk with someone like, okay, I'm getting this image. Are you getting what I'm getting? No, you're not. Why aren't you getting what I'm getting? Like what kind of music would help convey that type of, you know, that type of image or that emotion or whatever? Um, usually results in my experience that like the second or third piece of music is a lot you know stronger, much more tight knit to the story. So, so like big principles overall. Yeah, overall, it's, it, we're coming to the end. <laughs> um, I think something that like we have sort of in common in both of our our sections is that um, you want to lead with the idea. Right. Yeah, I think uh, when you were talking about, um, you know, it's not always about like what. I mean, I think that sometimes it is fun to just sort of throw something in, and you're like, "Oh my god, it sounds so cool! I love this." Um, and sometimes you have like happy accidents as a result, right? Yeah, but I well, not yet. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I just I think, got excited. Okay. I know it's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, but so. Uh, so you get so yeah you get excited or um or you like you get really attached to your your image of of something you're like oh but why aren't you seeing what I see mm-hmm. here, um but the story it, like the the matrix of the story is the most important thing and so thinking about like sometimes it's great to get excited and sometimes that just 
dumping that piece of music you love into the piece actually does help the story because it makes you love it more and it makes you um, invest in it more. Uh, but the story, yeah, the story should come first. Like right. that should be the that should be the 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 guiding principle. Um, another thing that we want to leave you guys. I mean, we're just going to sort of leave you guys with a few a few things to take home. Um, after this, uh, but the the second thing is to experiment. I think that um, probably eighty percent of the things that I try land on the cutting room floor. Maybe more, like ninety two percent of the things that I try. Um, and I think that uh, one really important thing is that we sort of think about making radio as almost like an art form, like where we we spend time sort of like playing around, like hours and hours just playing around. And I think that like when you're working in radio and it's your job, it's hard to sort of make that time, but it's really important. Like that's where the, the gems come from. And you'd be surprised um, when you play around for two hours and you think that you did nothing, where, where the ideas that you explored in that time will sort of pop back up later. Um, Next. Yeah, well, the other thing that I think about experimenting <laughs> is like, I mean, I think it's okay to leave things on the cutting room floor sometimes. Like Definitely. sometimes, you know, in your heart when things aren't working, but like, like you said, you fall in love with them. Mm-hmm. But like, this is sort of like the killing your darlings thing that we always talk about in, in writing is like, um, if it's, if it's not working in service of your story, it's okay to let it go. And I've definitely had that like moments where I've fought really like tooth and nail for things. And then like months later, I was like, yeah, that was actually the right decision. Yeah. But the thing is that sometimes the things you leave on the cutting room floor can make their way back later. Like sometimes like the, the techniques or the approaches or even the, the idea itself. I mean, like mm. there's been times where, um, a piece of music that I really loved and, and felt a certain way about and evoked a certain image for me, I really wanted to use, but it wasn't right for the, for the story. And I was like, damn, that, that sucks. I'm really sad. But then years later, I found that piece of music again and found the, play, the so place. So it's, it's not like it's lost work. Yeah, nothing's anything. ever lost, actually. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Other things. Yeah. These are the other things. Just remember to bake it in. I mean, we're talking about baking it into the cake right now, um, about figuring out ways of. Integrating like, the, the ingredients. Yeah. Mixing them in different combinations. Um, and then finding your style is another thing that. Uh, that sort of we wove through the presentation, this idea of aesthetic continuity and sort of like you can basically do anything if you set your listener up to receive it. Um, and I think so that's, that's actually fun. the really strong thing about um, both of our shows is that like uh, we do have this sort of world, you know, that, that, that and listeners have come to expect a certain style from you and a certain style from Love and Radio. Mm-hmm. And we also push our listeners in a lot of ways. And the reason why that they'll take those pushes is because we've set them up to expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, in conclusion, cake. Eat your cake. <laughs> Questions? Yeah? Uh, I just wanted to ask you guys about pacing and if you have any, like, cardinal rules maybe in your own shows about, like, how much distance (laughs) you put between songs or between sound effects. Like, yeah. I will say, I know know you have an answer to this question. About uh, the distance between songs, I often think about all the music I use in a piece, I think of as being part of one big song. 
Um, so that sort of helps me. Like, I don't feel like it's weird to... I never want two musics to sort of, like, feel like they're from two different universes. Um, so in answering the question of, like, how far... How, how much space can you put between two different musics... Um, I feel like it doesn't, I mean, it could be seconds, it could be minutes, because it, it never feels sort of like you're like ah, jarred by the next music, you know what I mean? Um, what, what about you, Brendan? Um, well, I think, I think at least in Love and Radio, we often think about um, breaking up the stories in chapters. Um, so sometimes a, you know, a different, like a whole chapter will have like a certain type of music that's kind of woven throughout it. Um, and so, uh, and then there are other chapters that we just sort of leave dry. Um, but I think for me, it also goes back to the image. Like, um, you know, when I, and this is may just be like a quirk of the way that I listen to radio, uh, coming from a music background, but like whenever I hear music in a radio piece, um, uh, I automatically start seeing those, like that series of images happening. Um, so, so when I'm like getting the dry tape or, or, or like even the raw tape, and I'm listening to it, you know, with my eyes closed, have the headphones on, and I'm starting to see, like, the images from the descriptions. Like, that, that's usually the moment where I'm taking note and being like, oh, this is maybe a good point to bring in music. Maybe this is a point to take music out. Um, because I think those two things kind of work together, ideally. Yeah, I think also... Is it- or are you talking about pacing of, like, actual, like, the Words and music? music? Well, I don't know. It's funny, because just, like... I've heard certain rules of thumb, like, don't let the song go on for, like, more than 30 seconds. Don't let, you know, this, like, just kind of, like, these cardinal rules of, like, how long you should let a loop go on, how long you should leave between, um, yeah, like, leave spaces between songs. I, I, like that. I have an answer. You have an answer. Okay, you go for it. Okay, I want to say it. Um, uh, I think thinking about sort of, like, the, like, place, like, sound, like, music as place, like, sort of, as Brendan was saying, like, thinking about, like, and also as I was saying, like, thinking about the different places that you're in over the course of the piece, um, and I do that same thing where, like, the music will live for a certain scene, um, but also just thinking about this, the, the, the foreground background thing, like, uh, for me using music, it's, like, um, Think about whether it's so if so if it's a background sound, you know, let it ride for the scene. But then there's this other layer of foreground sound where if the music is illustrating something, like maybe you can you, you sort of like put it a cha- as a chapter break, or maybe it's just an idea and it's just a little moment and it goes for, it's for like three seconds. Um, but also the do you want to talk about the wallpaper thing? Um, oh, huh, I hadn't gone there yet. As a rule, for, I mean sometimes yeah. Well, yeah, I mean well first I wanted to say like you know what you were just talking about a background and foreground like we didn't totally make this explicit in um you know in in the presentation but I think there's sort of a connection there between what you're talking about is like background and foreground and then like opaque and and transparent. Like transparent sort of works as a background um so that helps guide you know when I use you know music to come in and in and out. But there are some producers like um like Joe Frank for example um, or Ben Walker. Yeah, who's, so they're coming from the same style where they're just using like a musical loop throughout the whole thing. And they just lay it under for like so long. I used to be so opposed to this. I was like, this is not okay. But after hearing Joe Frank and Ben Walker and this... I, I dig it now. It's good. I mean, but, it's but the reason why... It's a very different use of music, though. Tell about the wallpaper. Okay, well, I heard... I heard <laughs> I, I, I've heard this referred to as like the wallpaper style of, of scoring, where it's just sort of like it's giving an atmosphere. It's like lighting in a room or something. It's like you're just sitting with this 
this story or this idea. And it, it allows, like, I was just listening to Joe Frank the other day, actually. Um, and, like, I kind of, like, fell into this trance, you know, um, in, not just because of the words, but because, like, there's this, this sort of repetitive quality to the musical loop that he's doing. Um, so it's just a different approach to using music. It's not doing that sort of hyperactive, super responsive type of thing that, that we saw in the Nate DeMeo piece, um, but it's, it's effective for what it, what it does. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of comes back to our, like, thesis that uh, it depends on the story, you know, and it depends on your style. But I'm also, like, really reluctant to say, like, there's a rule. Like, you do this 30 seconds, then cut it out. Like... That has to do with the style of your show, um, what you want to convey, um, and maybe there are rules in your show. And, and in, that, in that case, you need to be aware of that and, like, sort of, this is the listeners have expectations thing. If you're going to break the rules, have a good reason to break the rules. Do it intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have two questions, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, I think that will be great. <laughs> the first is, uh, how do you guys feel about music that's really percussive, like, under? Because I tend to gravitate toward boom bappy music, yeah. but I'm I worry that it's distracting. Mm, I would say that, like for me, Brendan and I are sort of diff- or like a little bit different on this. But I anything that's in the high frequency range, um, I almost never use piano music or anything with with drums. I use low pass filters a lot. Um, anytime that there is music that has like a lot of stuff in the high frequency range happening at the same time as talking. And then I'll let the, free, the higher frequencies sort of come back in at specific moments. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really opposed to like, pr- yeah, like at the same time as talking, unless you're doing, unless you're letting the voice be another rhythmic instrument. Um, I find, yeah, I find this is it, something we're sort of going to talk about a little bit tomorrow, but um, sort of the difference between foreground and background, if you, if you use, like Caitlin said, a low-pass filter, which is sort of screening out all the high-frequency content of the music, it puts the music more in a background, and then you don't, you know, it doesn't fight as much. But you're sort of talking about, like, percussive, like, like percussive quality, right? Yeah, like, 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 boom, like something with, like, beats. Mm. I mean, I, I don't mind it. Uh, I think that if you can make enough space, sort of, with, with, depending on how you're using it, like, if it's fighting, it's fighting. Like, you, right. you have a sense of it as, as, you know, as a musical. It was, it was sort of a maxim where I came from. Yeah, to not use it. Yeah. Um, and then the other question I had is, uh, how the hell do you find all the music that you end up using? Because uh, I'm a pretty voracious music listener, but I recognize one of the five, six, seven artists that you that you that you play them. So, I mean, is it? Or do you go listening to music specifically with scoring in mind, or do you just have taste in music that happens to comport with scoring? In what? Uh, really, where do you find it? Uh, okay. Well, I, I also listen to a lot of music. Um, and I don't necessarily list, like actively seek, like, oh, I'm going to go find some score in music, unless I'm like working on a piece. Um, but I do, like, as I'm listening to music, um, I listen to a lot of like weirder, more independent music um, sometimes. And like, if I'm hearing something in the moment, I'll usually try to make a note of it and like, come back to it. I'm not always as disciplined about it as I'd like to be, ideally. But, um, and uh, you know, the other thing is like, I also like, sample a lot, and I stretch things and, and sort of, you know... Uh, <laughs> make musical washes and, um, you know, adapt music in different ways, which is sort of like, that's like sound design, like 301 or 401, probably. Mm-hmm. Next year. <laughs> um, what's funny, I actually, um, 
now because I'm like there's such a high demands in my life for scoring that I like as soon as I hear one song I like from one one source I will go and like torrent the entire discography of the person and then I listen to the whole thing as I'm like the only time I listen to music now is when I'm making a radio piece and so I go through these dis- I have the all you have time to do is make radio <laughs> um, I have the entire discography discography of Prince I it was the first time that I started listening through all this music um but yeah I don't I don't really want to go into the territory of ethics on the music front right now, but, um, um, but yeah, we, uh, you know, we use music where we can find it. Um, if you're, you, if you're working at a place where you have, it's a commercial outlet, for example, like oftentimes I work with commercial clients who are doing, um, you know, various web short type things. Um, they have sound libraries that, and I have to restrict myself to just using those sound libraries. But even then I'm sort of doing the same types of tricks as we're talking about today, like finding, different qualities and it's in the music that sort of work for the piece and um it's not fun because like you're, you're restricted but like that's just one of the things you have to do in that mm. context yeah sometimes uh, a year ago when i first or two years ago when i first started working on life of the law um we started the year i i reached out to a bunch of um like musician friends from from like college who are no longer musicians and have a stockpile of unreleased music that will never see the light of day and i got i just got like hours and hours and hours of music from them and used use it throughout the year yeah okay um where, where can you get like sound bites of not like music but like the water it's not like um, well, so freesound.org is really, really good, um, and I would highly, I would highly encourage you to record your own sounds. It's very fun. Yeah, oftentimes just recording your own sounds actually helps you express an action more. Um, you know, it's like doing foley foley effects, not like sort of the corny old classic radio style, like you know, ratchety kind of stuff, but um, but actually like going in a room and walking around, or I don't know, whatever it is, but. Um, Taking your own recorder yourself can be really effective. More. Yeah. Um, how do you guard against uh, using music as a crutch to make a piece seem better than it really is? You know, you may have a, a mediocre piece for for various reasons, but by putting music underneath, it, it has some energy. It might create a mood. It you know gets people happy, and it, people will respond to the music as opposed to the story. And just if that's an issue or what you do in that case. I mean, I was actually talking with someone about this over lunch. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you need to play it back without the music. You mm-hmm. know, it has to work as a story on its own, right. obviously. Um, right. And actually, specifically, the, the question was, like, when do you add music um, in, you know, in your production process? And Caitlin and I both tend to add music earlier on in the production process. Mm-hmm. Um, and this person that I was talking to was saying, no, 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 I only have to wait till the end um, and that way, like, you don't get sort of confused the music isn't leading you. Right. But I actually think that, like, for me at least, uh, having the music earlier on in the process gives me something to respond to. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point about, like, how do you know? Like, you take it out and you see if it still works. And if it still works, I think it's, it's you know, I think you sort of know in your heart. Like, you know when something mm-hmm. is, like, cheating Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think that it's, it's I think that, like, it's not going to actually make the piece, if the piece is crappy, right. it's crappy, you know, <laughs> and we all know, you know, and right. for those ones, you just got to move on, you know, like, finish it, move on, um, and try the next one. Uh, How about there in the back? Um, David Shulman, I just wanted to say thank you. 
first of all, it's a really, a really work and a really great session. We talked about these ideas and it's great work. And um, I, um, I also, I really love how you can zero in on openness versus transparency, because that's also one of the things that I've found with as much as I've worked with people in, in radio, and um, when I was doing some story for somebody, and they said, like, oh, we want the pieces that are more neutral. You know, something you almost, you can, you don't even realize why you're making it. That's part of what's working in a scoring situation. And I guess I, I wanted to answer a question which maybe takes you down from this great plane you've been on a little bit, but some people have been um, asking lately about, you know, just basically, okay, I'm doing a podcast, I'm doing a DIY podcast, I want to find music, I want to do it in a way that's fair and legit for musicians, but I can't find, like, I go to the places that people tell me to look, I can't really find it, it's not that good, and I guess I just am wondering, in terms of, like, if there were some kind of, like, podcast music bank, the kind of things that would be good to be searching for. It's clearly the current sources of, like, of um, like free or less expensive music. They're not, either the quality's out there, they're not coded in ways that, you know, this is, a, this is a button ending, or this is neutral, or this is transparent. So I guess I'm kind of wondering some of the qualities that that kind of thing should Yeah, I've had to use a lot of music libraries on various, like, you know, audio tour type projects that I've worked on. And in the search engines are really, really bad. Um, and I think part of it is like not necessarily having a vocabulary for the different ways that we use music. Like, like you said, like a button or a stinger or something like, um, I don't know. It would be cool to have sort of a, a unified way of talking about how we use music. Um, it's a problem. It's hard. Uh, there are music banks that do that better than others. Um, you know, like I've used Pond5, Jingle Punks. There's another one called like the Podsafe Music Network. Um, but uh, what yeah. about free, free Music Archive? Oh, of course. Free, free I, music. I can't believe I forgot <laughs> to say. I mean, free, do, it, a, do it. Yeah, there's a the Free mu- the Free Music Archive. Um, WFMU is pretty good. I found some good stuff. I mean, like it's sort of like trying to find other types of music. I like you know you sort of like. I think that when I I do this thing where when I find someone I like. I take everything and then even maybe write to them and say, hey, like, do mm. you have things I haven't heard? Like, can I have them? Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've done that on Love and Radio as well. Just like sometimes we'll start with someone's piece of music and, and like even write to them and say like, hey, you've got other types of music. Or they'll write to us like, hey, I see you've got the show. You're putting like independent musicians on, you know. Do you need some music? Nudge, mm-hmm. nudge. Or even if they have, like, I mean, sometimes they'll have, like, stems from projects they haven't released. Um, uh, that, that can be, like, a gold mine also. And the other thing um, that, uh, that we try to do on, on Love and Radio is, is to sort of, uh, you can actually, go, on our SoundCloud page, we try to, um, you know, notate where we're bringing in different artists. Um, if, unless we're doing, like, the really kind of processed samples thing where I'm, like, building my own music out of other people's samples um but normally we try to have a and we have a list on our website of all the music that we use um because i do think it's important to credit musicians uh you had a question i was gonna just say you know if you search search pod safe is the pod safe is the big term for it and you know you can find a lot of archives and that just have strictly pod safe music and that'll at least give you something that's licensed that you can use without the license issues uh, more? Maybe one? Uh, Two? I one. did have a question, but... Uh, how, how, how many people have questions? Let's just see. And how are we doing on time? Two. Is anyone going to, like, pull it? It's 3.15. 3.17. Well, I won't be offended if you want to head out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> we take two more questions. Uh, yeah. Uh, just uh, okay. So you're uh, going back to the uh, music that, or the sound effects, more that kind of thing. So you've been you've recorded something. You're mixing it over and over. Um, do you have personal cues that tell you this is just way too much? This is yeah, you know, or, or something that tells you to when it's time to rein it in. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that most of the time when I'm trying to illustrate sound, like actions uh, or even spaces. Um, my goal is to create something that's really convincing, that sounds real, that sounds like something that's actually happening. Um, and uh, it's, it is kind of an intuition thing. Like, you can kind of tell when it's just not really working. Um, and a lot of the time I resort to recording my own stuff. Like, if I'm recording, like, a scene, even a door slam, or, a, or I remember walking down the the stairs in my, in my house with my recorder trying to get the effect that I want. I mean, I think that you just have to sort of like do it a lot, try it out a lot, and you'll get your own sense. So sorry, the question was, was what? Like how do you... Do you have a sense of when using sound effects is too much? Is that... Did I answer your question? Hmm. Okay. I don't know if this is answering too much. I was thinking this is sort of the solution to the cartoony thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like so, so sometimes sounds can be sort of too much when they're like what Caitlin was t- describing sort of in isolation mm-hmm. I think they're recorded really hot like right, right super close yeah sometimes or, like can, the can sound yeah so sort of and problem. one of the ways that like we try to deal with that sometimes is by putting them in a space um, so uh, you mentioned that you're an engineer right so um, sometimes we'll do like routing we'll put everything through a bus and submix it um, so it kind of creates and then put a reverb on that bus mm-hmm. so it kind of lets all the different sound effects kind of to sit in the same space. Um, that's sort of a technical answer. But. Mm-hmm. And not be so close mic'd as most sound effects are. One more question? I just had a question. I know you, you guys credit um, the artists on your website. Have you ever <coughs> run into an issue where you've layered two <coughs> original pieces of music and one or the other musicians objected to that in any way? No? no. Not yet. Um, if anything, we just get uh, a lot of positive feedback from artists who are excited that, that we've used them. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks a lot, okay, guys. Bye.